BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, a few weeks older and light years colder, my man, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you? Good, buddy. It's been, a, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been like a month. A month and a bit. I think it's like yeah. over a month, right? Since the last actual episode or since you and I spoke? Uh, this is the last actual episode. Yeah, so last actual episode, as far as I can tell here, was in f- late February that we recorded it. Oh my so god, we missed March. We missed all yeah, of March. All of March, and then, yeah, so a little over a month, which is crazy. Well, it's good to finally be able to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, likewise. Um, uh, I guess you and I have both been busy. We both have uh, acquired new jobs. Uh, <laughs> yep. So we both have uh, been kind of preoccupied and unable to make this happen in uh, as regular a fashion as you are all used to. And Chris and I both uh, are very sorry for that because I don't know if, about you, Chris, but I miss doing this with you, buddy. No, I did too. It was it was a very weird, it was a very strange month for me because, like yourself, I would imagine, I know you've been traveling a great deal, but um, it's just funny that, like, you know, I went from having, like, very little routine, so this is kind of my only routine for a good while, mm-hmm. and then I go to a whole different other routine, and it's, but this is not a part of it, so it's a very, like, weird paradigm shift that I feel like was like a month that just needed to get out of the way. And now everything will not to say that you're obviously we're going to have to deal with your travel schedule, things like that. But, um, I think at least regularly connecting enough, it makes it, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's like a, a my default, like navigational setting or something was off for a month. Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel, um, you know, like this was a, uh, a point by which to set, the course of a week, you know, and that yeah. without it, I was, you know, well, I was doing other crazy stuff too, including meeting people that love this show. And I meant to tell you, Chris, um, I have told you this off air, but I meant to tell you this on air. A lot of people wanted me to say hello to you. <laughs> cool. I still find that odd, but I, I appreciate it. Well, I tell you one day we got to do that turned out of punk West coast tour. Oh, it's like that cannot happen soon enough for me. We will work I'm down. on that. 
We will work. Yeah, for sure. I've got a couple tours uh, for this TV show before then. Yeah, of course. And then I got to do probably a fucked up tour. (laughs) But then. (laughs) Well, in an ideal world, although I don't know which point this would ever be possible, but in an ideal world, somehow I would just like somehow like sort of tag along to the fucked up tour and we would try to like piggyback something maybe or whatever. That's that's an idea. We should talk about that. We should definitely talk about it. But uh, one thing that we got to talk about, buddy, is did you see any good shows? We're getting good <sighs> records in the last Bands, year. shows. I did see shows. I'm trying to think of what I've seen in the last month. Uh, not really punk-related, but kind of punk-related. Uh, or, I don't know, I guess punk-related. Uh, I saw Sleaford Mods, who were awesome. Okay, uh, that was a good show? Yeah, it was really good. It was... Um, and for their their sort of setup is an interesting one, so I didn't know how it would go over, especially because they'd never played in Toronto or Canada, to my knowledge, uh, before. So on record, it's a very if anyone's familiar, yeah, I know you are, Dane, but it's you know it's just mainly two dudes, uh, one guy kind of like ranting over top of like you know a sort of repetitive, uh, not really electronic music. I don't know how to explain it, but anyway. Um, it's not, there's no live instrumentation. So I thought, you know, in person, how would that go over? But, uh, in Toronto, believe it or not, the vibe was really, really outstanding. And, uh, they got a huge reception and it went over really well. So, uh, yeah, I saw that. I'm trying to think who else I might've seen in a month. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did you catch any? Well, obviously you were on tour and I hadn't really spoken to you much about that. Did you have any openers or any bands you hadn't seen before? Yeah, this band Chastity that was sick played with us. They were we went on tour with them for a few days. Uh, no Age, the homies in No Age, great to play with them. Yeah, um, I've still never seen uh, that band. That's so funny. Um, we we yeah we got we played with some cool cool bands, some friends. Uh, definitely, you know that was a lot of good times of that fucked up tour. A lot cool. of good times. Met a lot of cool people afterwards. Got to finally visit. RJ from Sexfids Daybreak Records. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you've you've mentioned that that oof. I know is uh, it sucks that continually there's great record stores that far away. Um, yeah. but yeah, I need to make a point to go to that at some point. I might venture that this may be like one of the greatest record stores. Yeah, you, I mean, and that speaks volumes because you've been to a lot of the greatest, so. If not all of them. No, I've definitely not been to all of them, but I definitely, I've definitely i been fortunate enough to go to a few incredible record stores in my time. And I would put this one up there with all the best ones I've ever been to. Very nicely laid out. Um, and no matter what you're into, you will find something at this store. It's like Needful Things, that Stephen King novel. but <laughs> Well, I follow what he posts, so I'm always, uh, yeah. I have to make it out there. I just whatever, whenever I will be out there remains to be seen. Not yeah. soon enough for my liking. Is it actually in Seattle proper? Is it outside or? Uh, it's like yeah, in like a, I can't name the the area. It's like one of the areas in Seattle, like not down downtown, but like yeah, you know, right downtown ish. Cool. Can't name the remember the name of the area, but Daybreak Records. If you're in Seattle or going through that area, check out that record store. And it was awesome because I'm like in there. And I'm like talking to RJ and we're like, you know, catching up about stuff. And then he's like, you know, he's like talking to me about the show I'm working on. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go actually work with these guys from Vice. He's like, you should work with the dudes that do the TV show Abandoned. 
And I'm like, well, that's funny. That's who I'm working with. And he's like, that's crazy because it turns out one of the producers of there is RJ's friend through just coming to record stores that RJ works at. And and RJ's like, you know, hipped him to stuff that he didn't know about. So my whole life always comes back to records. <laughs> that's funny. There's no escaping it. But yeah, no, it was a, it was a, a, a cool store. And I think the thing, though, that... You know, I, and I can't even go through the records I got because I left them all in Vancouver because then I had to immediately jump into this whole other thing that I was doing. Um, but I wound up in Orlando and I had breakfast with Robbie fucking Brookside. <laughs> nice. Oh, it happened, Chris. It finally happened. I like, but you, so you're telling me you had not, I thought you had met in person before at least Dude, once. You had never, never. Oh, wow. So that is monumental then. Yeah. Yeah. It really did feel like this was like, um, yeah, like a culmination for this podcast. Like this might overtake Ian, meaning Ian Mackay as the biggest single moment for me involving this podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Which leads I... me to my next point. <laughs> yeah. I would like to reopen an argument. From said meeting with Ian McKay, Chris. Okay. I'll I don't reopen know if the argument. We've, if we've told the public this at all, by the way. I think we did. Them. No, we did. I thought we have shared this. Well, like, to bring everyone up to speed. It's nothing, like, it's nothing crazy. It's just, yeah, go on. Well. Not, not well, to, I speak mean, for not yourself, to be... it's, it's crazy. It's kind of crazy to me. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no. I meant not to be, like, not to be said publicly or something. It's fine. It's just. No, no, absolutely. No. Yeah. He, uh. Ian, uh, when I got into a bit of a debate about whether or not wrestling, professional wrestling, was the most punk-adjacent uh, physical activity. <laughs> you know, I said professional wrestling was. And then, you know, I laid out my points. I'm going to say eloquently, Chris, you you're, you were there. Uh, <laughs> How did I score it? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was convincing, it was right? It was convincing. You are you are that uh, you are very convincing whenever you have a um, whatever a take like that. To be honest, but this is you're onto something with this one. I'm not sure I entirely agree with you. To be fair, but you were convincing, and it started. To, and to be fair to you, it started because Ian said you guys were talking wrestling, and Ian interjected by saying that's not punk, mm -hmm. and then you laid out why you felt it was, and then it turned into the debate of which you're staying now, which is the. Which is the most punk, you know, athletic pastime or whatever. Yeah. And anyway. Ian then says it's skateboarding, right? Yes. And I concede that point to him. We all are like, oh, yeah, we have to concede that point. Yeah. I would like to reopen that fucking argument right now. <laughs> I think, though, you were talking historically. And so what you're – the nuance of what you're going to say is, is, is up to present day. Is that what I'm understanding? I'm, yeah. I'm saying now in the present day. Uh, hanging out in some of these locker rooms, meeting some of these wrestlers, it is very apparent that punk and wrestling are are like you know are are a tag team made in wrestling heaven. <laughs> There's a lot well, of punks back there in the wrestling locker rooms. Gotcha. It is uh, it is an interesting to like debate to ask whether or not. Because the debate that you guys were having in person was was related to history, like I mentioned. But it was, of course, early skateboarding. You know, has a lot 
in common with early punk or whatever the crossovers there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm curious. I don't follow skateboarding closely enough in present. So I, I don't think you're incorrect in saying that, uh, you know, modern wrestling or what have you, there might be more like more people per capita into re- in wrestling that are in- interested in punk than skateboarding. I'm not positive on that, but well, I just uh, like don't. How many like, you know, I'm thinking about you know skater, bit like fronted hardcore bands like right now, like Trash Talk, you know, um, but like bands that have like members that are like skaters, you know, professional skaters. Maybe we'll say professional skaters. They're like punk hardcore bands. Off with Mario. You know? Yeah, I don't know who. I'm trying to think. I didn't even realize anyone from Trash Talk was, so I don't know. Well, I don't think that anyone's. Like, they own a skateboard clothing company, right? Oh, they so, do? I didn't even know that. Avalon, okay. yeah. Um, well, like, it's just a clothing company in general. They make skateboards. So skateboard yeah, yeah, clothing, I got you. Know. Um, but, like, there's a lot of punk bands that feature people that are professional wrestlers. <laughs> so I see where you're going with this, yeah. I think, I do, like, I. I think you're correct with pointing out that wrestling gets, uh, you know, does not get enough credit in present age for its links with cultural uh, relevancy. And I think punk related things, perhaps. So I don't think you're wrong there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the the degree. But skateboarding's a weird one because skateboarding, I don't know how much, you know, like for me, I just look at what's in vogue and I'm not sure if like that is as in vogue as it was at its origin, if you will, like the punk relation. Um, Mm -hmm. But then again, I'm not a skateboarder, uh, so I have no idea. So uh, people are going to write in and be angry who are punk skateboarders. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I just, I don't know what goes on in skateboarding anymore, really. So uh, I don't know. So I don't know how to call this one, but I like that you want to revisit that debate. (laughs) Well, I got to say, because like Brody King from God's Hate, Andy Williams... (laughs) From every time I die, yeah. um, you know, there's the members of Eat the Turnbuckle. There's, yeah. uh, of course, our friend Jeff Cannonball. Yeah. You know, I got, that's that's four. Yeah, you didn't even say Robbie Brookside, who was like. No, I'm, I'm, Robbie Brookside's yeah. not in a band. I'm just saying people that are in bands. Oh, you're saying bands. Yeah, but bands. I mean, like, I'm just, even through this show, what you've unearthed is kind of interesting. Yeah, it speaks to a lot. I, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot I, of I'm. I'm still, um, I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced, but I'm not not convinced if that's, <laughs> that's one way of putting okay, it. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. But I <laughs> want to say, uh, also, in addition to all the people I met on the Fucked Up Tour, shout out to all the people at WrestleMania that came <laughs> up to me to talk to me about Turn It A Punk. I'm talking about you, DJ. I'm talking, of course, to Brody. I'm talking to, yeah, all, all the Turn It A Punk fans that I also met at WrestleMania. Because let me tell you. <laughs> There were a few. Uh, I find it so. Am I to understand that people are getting into turn to punk via your wrestling angles now? Is that the idea? Um, I guess. Like, I don't know. Like, however they come to the show, let them come, Chris. Oh, I agree. I'm not saying. I'm not saying against it. I'm just wondering how that is that big a connection as far as like WrestleMania attendees or whatever. Yeah, because that CZW documentary, like that I, we did, the TOD thing, the Terminator yeah. Death Doc, it's now like it's like been seen by a, a lot of people, and I guess like you know just law of averages, a small percentage of those people were like, oh, I'm going to check out some of the other shit this bearded guy does, and then <laughs> a smaller percentage of that probably have remained fans. Yeah, 
It's understandable. I, I would do the same if I if I saw what you did and I enjoyed it. I would probably do that thing, do that very uh, whatever trajectory. But um, you know who I actually I'm just thinking on what you said earlier about revisiting this debate. You know who I'd love you to bring this debate up to? Who would be uh, would be Sharpling? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if he, he he would be the most impartial judge we could have. <laughs> that would actually be my favorite like like public event to happen would be sharpling moderating you and Ian McKay discussing this debate. <laughs> Yo, that's a dream match right there, Chris. That's a yeah, dream true. match you just put together. Yeah. Okay, someone someone with a lot of capital. Let's make this happen. I, it wouldn't I even take that much, it just takes you to be all in the same area, I think. I think Ian McKay demands a pretty penny guarantee. Well, I, I, what I'm saying is, even if it never happened publicly, if it happened privately, <laughs> how, it how sick would it be? Funny. How sick would it be though if Ian McKay had like, you know, this like super egalitarian like model of touring where it's like a five dollar show door deal deal with Fugazi, but for speaking engagements, he had a ridiculously high guarantee. <laughs> it's like seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing he doesn't, but uh, yeah, that would be very funny. It would be awesome if it was true, though, Chris. But I'm 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 guessing you're right. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but it was great to meet Robbie Brookside in person. That was a a true. No, that's huge. Oof. Yeah, no, it's definitely. It was cool. It felt like I don't know. That that was also hanging out with MVP there. Yeah, it, of course. It was amazing. I'm trying to. I got to think of a way to try and link him back up with with Zach Blair at some point, And I think that would also be like, to see that happen would be another time that I think my head would just explode. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, what's confusing to me here at why I thought you met Robbie Brookside is because I remember the one time he was supposed to do something in my area and we were supposed to go, you were going to yeah. go and, and we were supposed to go. And I think that's what I confused me is that you still went, but it, it just didn't end up happening. Right. Yeah, no, he couldn't come into the country because he's he uh, not not anything serious, but just because you know being from England, being in America, it was like coming into Canada for a short stay. He didn't end up coming that time. Yeah, yeah. So we never got to hang out, but we did get to hang out briefly on the busiest nice. weekend of his of the year for him. <laughs> True. <laughs> that's cool that he still uh, made time though. That's awesome. Oh no, yeah, no, it was uh, you know, and even if he didn't make time, I would have gonna, I was gonna make sure he made time. I was gonna be like, no way, <laughs> I'm gonna let fucking Andy and Jeff Cannonball have all the hangs. That's <laughs> true. There were people that beat you to the punch. I think that's what surprised me too. Is I remember seeing the odd photo here and there and thinking, you broke that wide open for the punks, sort of. Well, I I like to think I played a small part in helping the punk community appreciate the amazingness that is this, you know, enigma known as Robbie Brookside. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, I was I was late to the party to get to finally meet said Robbie Brookside. <laughs> well, it's happened either way. And now it's happened. Now it's happened. Now we have to have you meet him, Chris. Yeah, it'd be great. I so talk he, football with him more than punk, though, probably. Oh, fair. God, yeah, definitely. And he will he will talk about everything. <laughs> That's my team now. I know. I heard You've adopted it. I remember the one time, remember, you had the results because they beat my team. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the team yeah. I follow now because, uh, well, the reasons are twofold, Chris, to actually be honest with you. Number yeah. one, uh, Robbie Brookside's favorite team. Number two, 
uh, they are uh, despised enemies of Mike from Fucked Up's favorite team. <laughs> it's true. Double, it's a double whammy for so you. So it works out both <laughs> ways for me. <laughs> yeah, Let's go blue. Point. You know who else though? They're they're notorious rivals of who? Your 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 good dear friend, previous guest of the show, double over, Andy Capper. Oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> fine. So, uh, a number three reason why I love them. Then <laughs> they're just they're despised rival of Andy Capper's favorite team. And number four reason is they're despised rival of Jace Kilho's favorite team. So really. God, I love this team. <laughs> very, uh, very point taken. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just making sure you're aware of all the people that will not appreciate that you like that team. That's, that's okay. All. That's okay. I, you know what? <laughs> I think we're safe on <laughs> none of them being listening right now. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> How crazy would it be? Probably crazier than Ian McKay's ridiculous guarantee. If it turns out Mike was like secretly low key a huge fan of Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> That would be funny. That would be insane. <laughs> All right. Speaking of crazy, Chris, we have to get to one, two, three, four, five episodes because this week on the show, we're going to be talking about the Craig Finn half hour of power, the Al Nolan um, uh, journey through East End of Toronto, the John Joseph uh, uh, New York versus everybody. Um, <laughs> My friend Brad Fye breaking down the Chikara punk connection. And then, of course, Jonah Ray dropping knowledge on youth crew people being total dicks in Hawaii. Yeah, I don't know why. Sorry, I forgot to the Jonah Ray one I didn't copy over here. But, yeah, Jonah Ray is the other one. I have, you have Jonah Ray at the top here. Oh, I do? Okay, it's just in the reverse order, I guess. Yeah, oh, sorry. No, no, I'm looking at a different spot. Anyway, okay. it's all good. <laughs> okay. Well, we got a lot to get to, but I guess before we get there, we do have uh, there's probably some obituaries that we should be talking about right now. Like Jay Giles passed away as we were starting to record this, so rest in peace, Jay Giles. Um, yes. I'm, I'm sure there's other stuff that we we're glossing over, and we really do apologize for that. We will get to that stuff in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we will also get back to the mailbag in the upcoming weeks. Chris, how do they send us mail? Uh, it's turned out a punk footnotes at gmail dot com and. Uh... Since our hiatus, we haven't got much rolling in, but uh, we're going to start addressing all these things again ASAP, and also I realize we're still behind, <laughs> and we will get on top of it as best we can uh, ASAP. Yeah, we've got a lot to get to this week, so we're going to make sure that uh, we uh, we get to it. Um... You know, without without you know neglecting the mailbag too bad, we'll get to we'll get to the mailbag in the near future. Also, please do us a favor, and if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast, write a review, rate it, tell all your friends, and yeah, that is uh, that. Well, find me on various forms of social media at Leffer Damon. Um, and now, I guess uh, we should talk about though before we get into this, Chris, our friend Jason Hammacher got back together. <laughs> with his band, which I will say is, in my opinion, one of the great bands of the 90s, Battery. Yes, yes I do like Battery. I don't think I'm as big as a Battery fan as you are, but um, I found well, that Chris, very... do you think I'm a piece of shit because I... Oh, fuck it. I was going to go into the whole song. Because act a little funny, dress a little different. <laughs> you don't know me. What do I believe? What I'm... Oh, do you think I'm a... <laughs> they, are, they are a good band, Chris. 
I have uh, I have at least one of the records, um, but yeah, I found it amusing regardless because because now having met uh, Mr. Hemacher and uh, and him being a previous friend of the show and whatever or contempt like whatever current friend of the show, um, yeah, it just put it in a weird uh, like very familiar <laughs> arena that I never thought I would have with uh, Battery and or him. Yeah, there's a lot of shows that have happened recently that I've just looked at and been like, fuck, I wish I was there. You know, like Cold Sweat playing a reunion, Battery yeah, doing a I reunion. Yeah, I heard about that. So that did happen. Someone told me Cold Sweat were supposed to, but I, I didn't know if it actually happened or not. I saw photos. Oh, cool. Great Dude, band. It looks sick. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's tons of stuff happening, too, that I'm not going to see. So um, that's the bummer about growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm glad you showed out that cold sweat though that's right because i remember i was i spoke to uh someone going out there because it happened in seattle right at that iron lung fest at the iron lung anniversary show yeah yeah there we go and uh yeah they mentioned that it might happen and i i just thought okay that sounds like a seems like a far-fetched thing but apparently not so cool yeah. and if you don't know uh cold sweat folks um go check out the records incredible Kind of a perfect catalog, to be honest. Yeah, they were a fantastic band. And um, Walls was great, which I think came yep. out of them. Um, yeah. You know, and, and... What was the other one? Repercussions or something, I think was another was one. Re- one repercussions of that, too? I they think it was too. somebody, yeah. Um, but Cold Sweat is definitely the apex. Walls, though, is a bit of a different animal, but also excellent records, all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Cold Sweat was, like, great, you know, and, and, and sh- like, Sean Dean on vocals. Like yeah, it was. It, they're a fucking great band. Yeah, and I agreed. wish I got to see them, but I did not because I was out watching a lot of wrestling. <laughs> Fair, a lot of wrestling and, and and music too, but mainly wrestling. A lot of wrestling. Um, so let's wrestle with this episode now, Chris. Sounds good. Let's dive in. Um, I found that Jonah Ray thing. I think you were looking for. Did you find that? I put it at the end. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, okay. it wasn't in, and I yeah, I corrected that issue. Okay, perfect. Okay, let's dive in then. Episode one hundred and twenty. Craig Finn from Lifter Puller, no pun intended, and the Hold Steady. Uh, this was a, a incredible one to finally get to do. I've been on him to do it for a while. We just hadn't found the perfect time. Obviously, we didn't find the perfect ex- extended period of time, but we found uh, a moment to sit down face-to-face and start this journey with him, which will take a long time because, believe me, the off-air podcast that we had was ridiculous as well. <laughs> of course, always. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We could we, we went for like – and then I walked him to the show afterwards. So we, we had another, like, you know, good hour afterwards podcast, too, um, that we will probably get into in the future. But um, there was a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk to him about. Uh, I guess we got into one thing off the bat first. It's the Skeen Amrap connection, which I find awesome. And, yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, anyway, Chris, your thoughts? Well, this was uh, because of the way when we're doing this. This chronologically was a few weeks back, so I haven't, I didn't have time to re-listen to it to uh, to remember all the nuance, which is unfortunate. But we're listening at the time, being right into it. Um, obviously, the Tom Hazelmeyer mentions and all the AMRAP stuff is like right up my alley. But uh, I think probably the big point out of this one 
that you were really hammering home. Uh, and I've admittedly still, obviously I'm aware of the group and I'm aware of like how excellent it likely is, although I've really, if I've listened to them, I can't remember and I haven't uh, had time to track it down, but Blind Approach for me is uh, what stands out most from that episode, the highlighting them as uh, this important group that seems to have been glossed over uh, in history. Well, Chris, I was going to say, that was going to be my first question. Had you checked out the blind approach? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I mean, I might have heard it in passing years ago, but I can't remember anything. But, uh, yeah, I know you've hit, you've hammered me on, on getting into it, and I've heard numerous people talk about how good that record is. I feel like you also brought it up to one of the other guests. I think, did you bring it up on the Brad Fry episode, too, I think? Maybe. I think you did, and he also concurred that the record's great. But I have, to, to my knowledge, I've never heard it to this day which is unfortunate um but it's right up my alley i mean like i know it's going to be great it's uh because it's what matt henderson from who joined madball yeah and it's his chris i'm listening to it right now (laughs) while i talk to you (laughs) well i'm not as adventurous as you but i'm definitely going to get on it anyway it's right up my alley just google google if you google blind approach new age or blind approach restless nights they both come up and they're both sick in their own ways. I'm first uh, googling. I've definitely seen this this uh, this cover of this record, but I've still never heard it. '89 Blind Approach, New yeah. Age, a genre as rock. That's funny. Um, but well, yeah. that's just like you know people fucking up. You know, what I just thought of as well. I never the the beast. The, the last song in the B side is "Our War." Is that where "Our War" got it from? Uh, I wonder. Yeah, because I never that had never come up before. Because I know the town of hardcore connection was the what, kids for cash. Yeah, and it would make sense that it would he make may sense. Have... Yeah. Well, that's that's still one episode I still have to do. Yeah, the Steve Wilsey one. Things to consider, man. The insert on this record is incredible, dude. I'm telling you, it's it's like so sick. Do you own this record? Yeah. Ugh. Of course you do, first of all, but I don't even know why I bother asking anymore. Um, yeah, no, this, I, because this record I bought off Martine from uh, Limprist. I bought both of them off them. So they have one time, um, and they have two. One, okay. First one, yeah. Oh, they both look really cool. Man, this band's got a great, yeah, vibe. Holy. No, Dude, it, I know it, and, and the stories were sick too. Like that's the thing; it's like they got better with Craig's stories. Yeah, I think it's like, what I like most about this group is that I believe you brought it up, like I said, on numerous um, times in this podcast here and there. But the fact that Craig Finn, first of all, Craig Finn saw as the episode details. If, if the listeners have not heard it, go back and listen to it; it's excellent. But um, he, you know, speaks to how great they were. And there was someone else that you interviewed that I believe had as well. But it seems to be like pretty much anyone across the board that ever caught them. Yeah, they definitely are like, you know, one of those bands. <laughs> they were like spiky punk until the uh, until the Cro-Mags came through. And then it seems to have changed the, the vibe, which I completely understand. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that the Cro-Mags a... change everything. 
Yeah, very absolute statement, but I'd say it's fairly accurate. I think it also, like, this is also uh, going to be introduced as evidence, uh, state's evidence, key piece number one, when we put Dave Martin on trial for misrepresentation of Cromag's live experiences <laughs> back in the day. Although, was it, who else spoke to that very show? Oh, no, you, you asked JJ about it. Oh, no, it was... Someone else corroborated. Uh... Yeah, one of Dave's friends. Oh, okay. Yeah, like it's not like we're going <laughs> like you know. Because the the only thing we keep clinging to, or at least I do, is that perhaps this is one off performance that the Chromex had. Or in the history. as I've I, as I've famously heard JJ actually say to someone, maybe it's because the Chromex were too hard for some soft people. <laughs> well, yes, of course, there's that. <laughs> Which I still think is one of the funniest lines anyone's ever said to anyone. <laughs> yes. Although, judging by what Dave Martin's uh, listening has been lately, I think it wouldn't he would not be in that category. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's, uh, you know, maybe he should listen to the Chromex of these fresh ears that he's applying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either way, we've digressed from the point. But uh, Blind Approach, yes, I need to. I need to get on this. I need these records. And the great thing about needing these records is that income is excellent uh, when you have it, and now I have it, so uh, I will be trying to get these records stat. Yeah. You know what's funny? I also now, looking at this episode and looking at some of the other stuff we talk about, Minneapolis has got to have one of the coolest punk scenes ever. Yeah. It's it's weird because it's still one, like, you know, the outline of what you put on and, and listening to the episode. Like, I know a little bit, and I've been... Uh, at least twice, I think. I, I find it a really cool place, but it's still something I don't know a great deal about. I feel like I, feel like I don't have a genuine familiarity about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I don't think you're wrong. I think that I think there's a bit of a hotbed there. Obviously, like I have fondness from just visiting because I enjoy it. But um, when I visited, but it, the history, the music history there is very interesting. Um, you know, it, again, even just the things we've outlined. If I if, if you just took Blind Approach, like Amrep, and Dillinger 4 alone, like that's interesting to me. Yeah. And that's not even addressing like Prince and like all the crust. Do and like, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah. Placements. Yeah. No, there's, yeah. it's, it's truly a pretty, pretty unbelievable scene. And, and like, it's crazy the punk stuff that came out of there. Yeah. Dillinger 4, Halo of Flies. Mm hmm. It's, it's the, the right there. Those are, you know, very much interconnected bands that are opposite ends of a sonic spectrum. That is an what, awesome spectrum. What I want to know is, is there's in other episodes, um, I cannot recall who's off the top of my head right now, but the ones where I feel like it was the Cosloy episode, maybe the second one where the, the pig fucker thing comes up, whatever that genre term, terrible genre term from the nineties. Yeah. It comes or up a pig couple fucks. times, right? Pig fun yeah. music, yeah. But did people in Minneapolis, like, because the idea of when Craig Finn speaks <laughs> about kind of like, you know, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like getting out of hardcore or whatever, and then getting into like the AMREP scene, I'm curious as to if that scene in that moment in time was embracing that idea in Minneapolis. Because New York, I don't, it doesn't seem like anyone really was apart from whoever was being like, I don't know, a critic and kind of terming things. But I'm curious if anybody like, if that was a known term in that area. Yeah, I wonder actually. That'd be for that's for a part two. Yeah. 
But that was one one of the things that kind of struck out to me is the idea of, you know, getting into this stuff, always liking punk and like seeing cool punk shows and then sort of not growing out of it for lack of a better term, but at least like getting over it for a minute and getting into this other sort of punk adjacent scene, which in hindsight is, is very punk still, but like the halo flies and that whole world. And the, the idea of being like, I just can't, AMREP has always been something that's kind of foreign in my mind. I've always like enjoyed the vibe of it, but I can't imagine that being in my backyard. Yeah. I would love like, my God, I try and collect them all the AMREP <laughs> scales yeah. and, uh, Oh God, there's some stuff that I'll never ever see. Yeah, know? it is still really I mean, I feel like that along with like the pushead thing are these two worlds now that have gone <laughs> so insane as far as like col- collectability, I can't even keep up at all with it. I don't know. I think the the prices for the Amrip stuff, like not so much the newer stuff that Tom's putting out in like super, super limited editions. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, but like the 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 original ones don't go for that much money, and the pusset stuff—it's insane what signed pusset stuff goes for now. Yeah, I was speaking. Sorry to more the contemporary new limited oh, yeah. stuff he's doing is what I meant. But oh, yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. Different. There's there's a ton of like my hope when I you know and you know having gone record shopping with me numerous times, like my bread and butter is like trying to find ten dollar top records that are just whole fillers and it's like this world is what i like kind of love to come across yep. and i feel like these are the stores i love picking in to find this this kind of stuff oh god and yeah. i know there's some Amherst, of those amrock records like that. yeah yeah i know there's some that are like they might be there's there's some that are probably worth a pretty penny in hindsight now but um i feel like a lot of it is stuff that people just look over that is not terribly desirable like monetarily which is great for someone like me yeah, no, I think there's definitely, like, you know, huge ones that have fallen through the cracks. Like, you know, the Melvin stuff goes for a fortune. Yeah, but, of course. But, like, you know, the, the oh, what is this bludgeon flexi? <laughs> you're you're on it now? First AMREP release, a one-sided 8-inch flexi that came with your flesh magazine. Like, describe that again, one-sided 8-inch flexi. Yeah. Like, that on paper sounds like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> well, it's, well, you, you can be, have one for the sweet price of $16.95. Well, at least it's not worth, you know, a ton, which is nice. Cause that's a ridiculous, like whatever. Well, it's a ridiculous format. First of all, flexies, which by the way, I didn't realize that your new record has a flexi with the record. Yeah. We we're also releasing the record as a snake. How is that possible? As a rubber snake, it's going to come with a digital download oh. code. <laughs> I thought you were, yeah, I was like, it's like, how are we going to make a real snake? Like, what are you talking about? If we're going to modify a snake so there's a USB attached to it. No. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I thought, how is this going to fly? No, it's a rubber snake that comes with a download code. Uh, you are right. I'm looking up this bludgeon. Is there any images of it? No. No. My God, that first Halo flies is worth that much money? Yep. So yeah, it's uh yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on here though. I, I while we're on this topic really quickly, one of the comps that were things I got into early, um at least some like diff- one of the versions of it, not the first, is this dope guns and fucking in the streets yeah. comp series that uh Amrep always did, which look great in retrospect. A lot of the Amrep stuff looks great. Um Oh but, god, yeah. He's well, he 
he probably has an incredible collection of art. Like that's worth a small fortune, I would imagine. Yeah. Cause he has that eye. Like he's worked with unbelievable designers and artists from the very beginning. Yeah. On his stuff. And if you look at their like if you go back, click gear on on the resource. Yeah, I have. That's what I'm doing now. And like just go through like the aesthetic, like, you know, look how advanced their aesthetic was. Totally on. Like, it looks like a modern record. Like, that first one, like, looks like a record that could come out now and be considered, you know, very digitally appealing. Yeah. Well, the thing about this label, and I mean, I'm sure you will agree, I mean, obviously this label starts in the 80s, but AMREP to me and my brain is, I think it's because when it comes to 4 is the 90s, in my opinion, but um, there's something for me with, like, these labels that sort of are, are, like, endemic of the 90s that their aesthetic is great. And like this label is one. And of course my other favorites, Man's Ruin and Sympathy are the other two mm-hmm. that to me are like whatever the, the visual aesthetic of those, even just those labels. And I'm, I'm forgetting other ones, but um, it's like hugely strong. And in, in hindsight, especially, I don't know if there, if that exists in the same way, probably because there aren't as many labels pumping out this much stuff, but um, I would say yeah. Revelation Records had a very like you know it's it's obviously a very different aesthetic. Yeah, but like very early on, they have a defined aesthetic that. Oh, totally. You know, they all look. Yeah, look not bad. Like, there's not an ugly record in there compared to some labels. No, like for me, Death by, <laughs> Grand Theft Audio was that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can get to that. That's discussed in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> But before we digress, I want to say a point. Um, was that Dope Fucking in the Streets comp? I got into um, probably, I'm trying to think of which one now because I'm looking up the one to three. It was like one of the, it was one of those first three. I can't recall which I got into first. But um, I got into it for the, the, the title of it. I remember finding it at a record store. And it just being like a sensational title. So I was like, okay, well, I have to hear this. This is crazy. And then uh, that was one of these earlier comps that I got into. Um, and it's still, I That's think cool it still holds up. Yeah. It's still a bizarrely titled, but looks excellent. And uh, and by and large, it's got a great lineup. Yeah, and they have, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know, it's a pretty solid label the whole way yeah. through. You know, like even that band Supernova they put out, the pop punk yep. band, super sick. Um, obviously, Lubricated Goat, like King Snake Roost, like they they put out like yeah. so many unbelievable bands. You just go through this. Boss you know what? I'm maybe wrong. It might have been one of the later ones. It must have been good label. Between four and seven, I got into because I'm looking at the lineups here, and it was probably via. Uh, I'm guessing maybe at the time, Helmet. maybe someone like Helmet or Jesus Lizard. Or even Unsane, even Melvin's to a degree. But when I look at 4 to 7, man, there's some fire on there. Mighty Caesar's amazing. Oh. Like, there's yeah. some cool stuff on there. Cosmic Psychos, Dwarves, of course. Yeah, there's. so it was one of these cons. But either way, I feel like this was a great, uh, whatever, introduction point to this label when I didn't know much about it earlier on. Yeah, it's like, it's it's nuts. Uh, how much great stuff that label kind of put out. Like, I guess it's the same as Sympathy for the Record Industry, but I think there's, like, there's more clunkers in that catalog. Yeah, and there's a lot less, I mean, there's a lot more, uh, like, one-offs on Sympathy, I find. 
Uh, whereas yeah, this, yeah. there's a lot more like continuity. Like he's got you know a bunch of Cal's records, like stuff like that. Boss Hog, like the yeah. groups that were more. And it's not to say like I love all these labels, but just uh, this was more of like a dare I call like a legitimate label as far as like groups putting out numerous things on it and like kind of remaining their acts, so to speak. Yeah. Um. But yeah, all great. Uh, anyway, all great labels. My bread and butter. Um, but yeah, that was what I got out of the Craig Finn episode were those main two that we sort of just discussed. If there was anything else you wanted to uh, to delve into there. Uh, well, I love uh, always to dive, delve into skiing, but I think we've done that enough on this show. Um, uh, I think it's amazing that I found his record in Toronto. <laughs> Which one was it again? I remember No this pun intended. Up. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Dillinger 4 is one of the best bands ever. I, you know, it's, I don't, uh, I've still never seen them live, but, uh, I do like the records. And yeah, I, like so the I, I swear, like we, I, we've talked about this before, right? Where like, cause they did that, they did a, like a tour where they played every city. It seems like in Southern Ontario, <laughs> Jersey, it was like them, Jersey and Outspan maybe. Yeah. Could have been. That maybe sounds right. It was like someone, maybe there was like another American band on the bill, like against all authority or something. Yeah. Oh, I could have seen them. I just like I don't know why I never went out of my way to do so. But um, yeah, they're they're one of the standout groups of of that era. I would say, like in terms, especially that the whatever the the I'm gonna for me in my brain it's like late '90s kind of stuff. That's just like top tier. If I I think of like when I think of a band like that, for some reason I shelf them. I don't think it's I don't think they sound exactly sonically alike, but. For me, like the the two kind of like standout groups that like are kind of like universally loved is like Dillinger Four and like Avail are the two that stick out in my mind. I think Avail's been kind of like lost to the sands of time a little bit. Maybe, but I, I feel like those two are the like tends to be the people that are into one or into the other or something. I don't know. I, I put them together in my mind. Yeah, like I think um, I don't know. Even I though they're Avail, not from the same place. Yeah, I think because they're both like poppy or punk bands yeah uh, that were on pop punk labels yeah that also like really appealed to hardcore kids and came from hardcore yeah <coughs> excuse me i oh. think you stated that perfectly yeah <coughs> excuse me oh <laughs> it's all <Sorry>. good <laughs> yep i think uh, i think we nailed that unless there's anything else we can move nope. on no no let's move well there's a lot more but they yeah. he will be back for a part 2 yeah. Now, someone that both you and I have had a very long relationship with is anyone who's been into punk in Southern Ontario, full of highs and lows, uh, a lot of highs, especially on a musical standpoint, because I love this band, um, Trigger Happy, Al Nolan, finally on the show. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, I don't know, Trigger Happy, a band I'm sure you saw, Chris. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, this was, I saw, first sorry. time I saw them was with, pardon me, was with SNFU, but sorry to cut you off. Go on. No, go on. What, what was that show? Uh, it was probably like 90, oh, I'm trying to think of what year, 95, I want to say maybe was the okay. first time I saw them, but they were, I, I found them really interesting because it was the weirdest bill. It was, uh, um, it was them opening with... Oh, I always get this confused. Who became, uh, it was a Sonic Onion band 
Uh, not the one that got big and became the pop punk band. Not Trouble Charger, but what was the other one? Tristan Sionic? Tristan Sionic, yeah. I think it was Tristan Sionic and <laughs> SNFU. That was the bill. Uh, and the bill was weird, so it was like clearly, and everyone was there for SNFU. <laughs> It, it was just like that, you know, the Tristan Sonic band was like clearly the, the odd band out. But they seemed to be pals with Trigger Happy. But I just recall, um, and I don't remember if it was Al or another one of them. But anyway, basically, Trigger Happy played and they essentially made fun of Tristan Sonic the entire time they played. It would have been Al. There's no way. <laughs> like, who else in that band would that have been? Like, yeah. Rustin? No, it was yeah. Al. Uh, yeah. He definitely, like, he... Like, yeah, like, you know, I've taken a lot of influence from him as a, as a front person. Um, but he was the first person I ever saw in punk that had, like, a really kind of, like, like a cocky, like, super uh, harsh sense of humor on stage. Yeah, there was another time I saw, and I was talking to you about this before, but I don't know if we could remember the band. But he was in a band... It's, I don't know. Trigger Happy, I think, is still around, right? Aren't they back or they're something? They're back, yeah. They're back. Yeah, so... But there was a group he was in, I believe Trigger Happy was sort of done, or at least a hiatus, and it was called, like, something like Hell Yeah, Fuck Yeah, or some yep. weird... Yep. Some, yeah. Fuck something yeah. like that. He had Hell Yeah, saw, Fuck Yeah, Take Drugs, and uh, The Down Belows. Yeah, so I saw the, I guess, that first one I mentioned. They played locally once, and it was it was different. But it was the same, it was almost like, um, it was like a parody thing, at least when I saw them. I don't know if that's how they always played, but I believe he fronted that group as well, right? Yeah, he did. So he was fronting it, and it was like, it was kind of, uh, from what I remember, again, this was like maybe, maybe 99, maybe 2000, and it was like, shticky kind of like uh like kind of like making fun of like like sort of like cock rock uh posturing and, and stuff mm -hmm. if i remember or at least he was doing it at that show but those yeah so i i saw those two groups of his um but trigger happy of course being the sort of the most notable one and i guess i saw them i don't know if that was their prime era like that mid nineties. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, like their yeah. Killatron two thousand. I'd say would be. Well, no, I'll shut up when you fuck off too. A little bit. Yeah, later. it was definitely after Killatron. It was. I believe it was the All Shut Up because I. No, I, I think remember... it was before All Shut Up. Will you fuck off? Because I think Killatron two thousand comes out nineteen ninety five. Why am I just not reaching over <laughs> here and pulling this CD out, pulling this CD out, and pulling this CD out? Okay, Chris. Now I can. Talk from a little bit of an informed position. Okay. All shut up. So, what are your what are your point of contention is that all shut up is not the the more recent one of all of them. No, that is the most recent one, but I think that came out yeah. like uh, kind of later into the nineties. So I just wanted yeah, to I check. Yeah, it was like ninety six. I want to say uh, ninety five is when Killatron two thousand came out. Oh, okay. And all right. On the da -da -da -da, drum roll, please, everyone at home. <laughs> I bust out my copy of I'll Shut Up When You Fuck Off. Oh, do you know proceeds of a portion of uh, 10 cents from the sale of this record uh, will be donated to Food Not Bombs? So there you, there go. you go. There's a lot of sponsors also. Uh, I'm trying to see where there's date. I already 96. found it. 96. Yeah, I, I guessed it right. But I don't uh, think it came out until like 97. 
Well, there is on the resource. It came out on bad taste in '97 and in Canada in '96. Yeah, I don't know if that would have influenced your, but the so the came funny, out on Sonic Onion Records in Canada. Exactly. So when I saw them in that time, like I said, where he was like kind of like, and it was in jest because I do believe they were pals, and and the dudes, or at least one of the people in uh, Tristan Sonic, I believe, was the head or is the head or whatever of Sonic Onion. So yeah. it was, I think he was like joking but my young mind at the time just thought he was like you know like crushing this band and i felt kind of bad for them <laughs> but um but yeah that did come on on sonic onion correct yeah and i don't i don't think he would be beyond crushing a band too <laughs> could be like it's funny because i just opened my copy of uh disturbo and uh there's a flyer in it and it's like trigger happy hey we used to be called kingpin and they have all this information about kingpin and it's like so I'm like, oh, I, I wanted to, I remember asking him at a show, like, hey, man, I wanted to ask you about Kingpin. And he's like, never ask me about that band again. <laughs> yelled in my face. <laughs> the funniest part is, so for, for those who don't know, I guess we should go in on this now. Like, so Trigger Happy, um, these records, so you just brought up Disturbo, which is the first one from 92, at least the first CD. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they have demos or whatever before maybe, but. Uh, but this comes out on Epidemic Records. Yep. And uh, the cover of this record, I remember vividly, but I don't think I've ever heard this album. But uh, I do remember seeing this all the time in the that era. Um, but Epidemic, which he goes into in the episode, mm-hmm. who, what, what band was that guy in that ran Epidemic? I can't recall what he said. Slaughter. Sla- oh, so the yeah, okay, so Canadian it's, Slaughter. It's the drummer, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the drummer of that Canadian Slaughter, the now posthumously, well, infamous even at the time, but posthumously infamous big time lately. Yeah. Um, oh God, yeah. Creates epidemic, and then that that ends up putting out like um, Trigger Happy, and in that very same episode, he brings up uh, meeting James Cavaluzzo, who's in Malhavik, and all of Malhavik's stuff first comes out, if not all of, no, not all of it, but the vast majority of the stuff comes out in Epidemic as well. Mm-hmm. And Epidemic, is it all CDs or do they, oh no, it's tapes as well. No, And they also they did put a, vinyl too, a one well, album. They did Deep End. Owl's Band that he talked about in the episode. Yeah, Deep End in 89. And that was it really though. Most of the stuff is all, all the rest of it is either cassette or CD. Anyway, um, Epidemic um, was a label for me, again, kind of getting into, I, I really like Mel Havoc, which is sort of not punk per se, but punk adjacent um so i remember well, I, think I think yeah like it's definitely very punk adjacent and the amount of people that are involved in punk that went through that band yeah like my god like i cannot wait to do an episode with that dude one day hopefully because yeah it, it, the amount of shit he connects like yeah. like how else you connect do may say think to closet <laughs> monster but through mal havoc <laughs> true and a broken social scene and yeah. to to fucking trigger happy. I think he can even connect Skinny Puppy, if I recall correctly, too, to mm. all that. Um, I'm sure. But it's it's very funny. Like, if I recall, too, that Disturbo record you're talking about, for people who can look this up um, while you're listening, if you're that inclined on, on the resource has all of this, if you look up Epidemic Records or Trigger Happy or... Uh, any of these things, but was it the Disturbo cover that you were talking about? The same guy did the cover of that uh, Malhavik uh, Premeditated Murder cover. Yeah, I th- 
I think that's what he was saying, right? Yeah, that's what he said, yeah. That's amazing. I've always loved that cover of the Mal Havoc one. Um, the Trigger Happy one's great too, but the, the Mal Havoc, that cover I love. Like, anyway, the, but all of these records are excellent, which is weird. What I'm trying to get into here is Epidemic is one of these, like, lost labels. No, Epidemic, it's, like, insane when you go through this list and you're like, so even if you just look at, you know, of course, the Mal Havoc stuff that they did. Yeah, which is all top shelf. All top shelf. The Slaughter, the Strapito thing they put out, the cassette by Strapito, the last Slaughter recordings. That band Overthrow, um, you know, Trigger Happy, Monster Voodoo Machine. Like, this is a very significant label in the history of Canadian heavy music. And in keeping with Canadian early 90s, of course, there's a The Mad and there's a Beyond. And they're not the the Mad or the Beyond that you're thinking of. Of course, of course. (laughs) that's canada Uh, oh yeah uh and of course they put out for anyone who's in this one drops that like that this this has to be the first monster voodoo machine too i would think yeah it is that's amazing yeah no it's 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 insane when you look at this label and look at the stuff and like monster voodoo machine like man they were on that first Marilyn manson tour like that's another thing that's kind of like not talked about with the same sort of reverence they deserve in in canadian music yeah and getting getting into deep again, not entirely punk, uh, sort of whatever, uh, based on this label at least. But if you notice these, uh, if you're on the resource name, the raw meat one and two CD comps. Yeah, I looked. I was like, clicked on those. <laughs> uh, I I've never heard of Which any for, of the bands on volume one. Well, you volume yeah volume one. I don't think. Well, I think Mal Havoc's on volume one, but the rest I didn't know. Is Mal Havoc on volume one? Oh no, they're I not. On volume one, they're on volume two. Yeah, I don't one that I had not heard of any of these bands, and that could show my ignorance. Meat is an acronym, M E A T. But oh, uh, Meat Magazine was a, a free, yeah. like, what whatever. I don't know if it was not weekly, but whatever, monthly or quarterly, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, magazine that came out in our area. Um, I don't know if it was Toronto or was it international? I think it was. I think it was Toronto. Maybe across But I remember Canada. you would go in, because uh, again, these comps came out in like 90, and or actually both 90. Uh, I still have a copy or two of meat uh, kicking around my house. But um, <clears throat> yeah, for really? a young metalhead, they're not that great in hindsight, to be honest. But um, I kept them just for posterity. I just don't usually throw a lot of stuff like that out. But as I looked through it about a year ago, just when I was rifling through stuff at my house, just to see if I could find any cool, like, you know, whatever, Toronto-related stuff of that era. Uh, nothing really jumped out. A lot of, like, weird show reviews of that time, but a lot of it is all metal-centric, of course, because it's a yeah. metal magazine or whatever. But um, anyway, I find it funny that Epidemic uh, did these comps. And so I'm what I'm curious about is, did he do Meat Magazine as well, then? Oh, actually, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, so this is for deep Toronto heads or, or like, whatever, Canadian heads that might know. Um, and uh, I, there's definitely people we could ask. But um, if you're listening, uh, write to us if you know the, the whatever, the whole thing behind this, because I'm curious about that. I thought anyway. I had a pretty complete epidemic discography, but I'm nowhere, nowhere close. No, I, I it's weird because a lot of this I could have gotten um, – and arguably, you still could get if you looked hard enough for very little. But um, I have all the Mal Havoc. Uh, I don't have that first Trigger Happy. 
I remember seeing this like that Soulstorm album. I remember seeing like all the time. Um, Monster. Yeah, all I really have, I guess, is the Malhavik. Really. Um, that's what was the slaughter? You mentioned the slaughter thing. What is that one? I don't see it on. I don't here. see it on here either. But it's a Strapedo tape. Now I got to pull that at tape out and see what label it's actually on. Yeah, and I find it funny that they never put out Slaughter. No, I know, but Slaughter was on. Um... Oh God, no! Strapedo is didn't come out on um... on Epidemic. Anyway, but it's. Uh... No, they were on um, they were on Diabolic Force, which okay. is Brian's label. Yeah, yeah. And then this last tape, I guess, was put out by their <laughs> management company. Gotcha. In 1992. Yeah. But uh, Epidemic, cool, kind of interesting label. Definitely, a lot of it is um, whatever, sort of like uh, contemporary, almost industrial. Some of it. Malhavik certainly, but it has metal elements to all of it. Obviously, trigger happy, not at all, but um, yeah, cool label. Metal, metal, metal elements to trigger happy, definitely. Oh, for you know, sure, the guitar yeah, yeah. too and stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, this was uh, for me. This was a an amazing episode. I thought we were going to mainly be talking about kind of like '90s, um, you know, epifat type punk stuff because that was definitely trigger happy. Were the kings of Toronto for that yeah at that time um and we didn't get to that at all we just spent the whole time kind of like detailing a super amazing look at the east end of toronto like i want to say the east end of toronto i mean the east end of sort of southern ontario yeah um punk scene that was let i like have always been fascinated by like so much cool stuff came out of there like matt white like <laughs> there's so much cool stuff that he just brought up yeah episode. i think um it was cool because you and I both learned things from – I remember you were telling me when you had done it um, way back, but like when you recorded the episode. But the – listening to it, yeah, there was stuff I learned. Obviously, I didn't know. But the uh, I think for a lot of people out of area, it's an, an interesting listen if they're like really interested in the nuance of like whatever, the history of Toronto, you know, in like the late 80s forward or something. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I think he tells it very well too. He kind of – connects a lot of dots very nicely for anyone that's really, really researching things. So it's kind of neat. There's some stuff in there too. That's kind of like, didn't he bring up a couple of those early bands that really didn't do anything either though? Like that'll be like, do you have demos of any of that early stuff he talks about? Uh, no, I don't have that five foot nothing demo, which I would love to get. Cause I like, it. I think, and I guess we didn't talk about this on the air. We talked about it off air, but <laughs> Matt white is one of the, the most insane geniuses to kind of come out of, southern ontario music you know like the dude from two-line filler <laughs> okay yeah dude like those the, the 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 stuff that he wrote in those bands it's insane like it's insane that that guy like that guy should have been you know the great songwriter of that era of that type of music gotcha you know, like uh, it's it's nuts when you kind of go back and listen to some of the two-line filler stuff we had this conversation off air al and i i think just before just afterwards but like Matt White's like a, a savant when it comes to writing kind of like pop punk songs. So what, whatever came of like uh, of him or that I mean, two line filler obviously had a, a certain like whatever they were active for a certain time, but what did, uh, I'm well, just you know, Matt White was also in chokehold. 
Yeah, but the whatever happened to him like since or whatever. He works at a music store in in Scarborough East End stuff. Like I just don't think uh I don't think he ever you know kind of like got past doing stuff in the late 90s. Like he just never I I know there was a lot of offers from a lot of labels, like bigger labels too that wanted like, you know, just say the word, we want you to record for us and stuff, but he just never really got another thing going. Like a bunch of people that used to play with him were did that band Dead Season? Yeah, yeah. You know, like Al Al Biddle, you know, like it's amazing who also went through two line filler. Yeah. The people that played in that band over the years too. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize John but, Drew was in two line filler anyway. Yep. No, absolutely. John John definitely and but I will say that that listener album on New Red Archives is one of my favorite records to come out of you know Canada at that time period. Yeah, ninety five. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like the the artwork for it is so awful in my opinion. But um, I've never heard this record. But I, the the aesthetic is interesting. I I would be dissuaded because of the aesthetic, but I will go to my. You got to play this for me when I'm over. Yeah, it's it's a really cool record. Like yeah, I think it's probably all on the tube too. They also eventually did a split with Pez, um, who is the band that got Billy Talent to have to change their name to Billy Talent. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, I forgot about that. But they did the split with the Pez from Memphis, the punk Pez. Nice. Um and yeah, that's that's a great split too. And then they also did a seven inch on Me First Records, which is of course, a Me First Records fanzine fame, or Me First fanzine fame, I should say. Uh, and that seven inch is also worth picking up. And, uh, <clears throat> Which is funny because they all they all look of the era. My goodness. Well, seven- <laughs> click on the fadeaway two line filler split. Oh, like this is yeah. It's uh, look I at mean, the cover it- of the two line oh. filler side. Where's the? I see the fadeaway. Is the two line filler side just the testicle explosion thing? Yeah, it's because apparently, uh, I think Simon Harvey convinced the guy who did the label, Dave Last, who put up the first scare tactic seven inch, to switch <laughs> the two line filler artwork to that and make what? that their artwork for their side of the split. The funny thing though is, in hindsight, like this looks way better than what they probably would have done. Like, yeah, that's the, true. That the fadeaway true. side looks terrible, and like. If you look at all the other two line filler like visual aesthetic, it's pretty, pretty wanting. Uh, so I think that that actually <laughs> did them better in hindsight. But you can't tell what whose side that is. So I guess it wasn't. I don't know, <laughs> no, whatever. I think I, I think it pissed off a lot of people to that move. <laughs> I remember uh, being with uh, the guy from the label, Dave Last, in Buffalo. Like God, it must have been like fifteen years after this. Yeah. Um, and uh, the dude from Fade Away walked in. He's like, we should leave Muddy Taco now because I think that dude might still be mad at me because the Fade Away do line filler split. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but that, that Fade Away record's also sick. Scott Vogel, Frank from Snapcase in that band as well. Really? The yeah. Vogel's in that? Yeah. Wow. I think that's one that Vogel plays drums on. I remember some of this came up in this episode. But oh, no, he's so two vocalists. Two vocalists in Fade Away. He's vocals. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, there's a, uh, you know, there's a lot of history that's uncovered in in this episode. Yeah, for sure. You can connect a lot of dots through uh, this episode. But uh, all right, now moving on, Chris. Yeah. We got JJ more time. We got the JJ episode now. This uh, 
I've received, uh, I don't know, like I, I was expecting overwhelmingly excited, positive feedback. And I received uh, some people being uh, a little upset with this episode, not as stoked <laughs> as I was on this episode. Uh, I think this episode was uh, awesome. There was some stuff in this that I thought was really fun to hear about. Obviously, yes, a lot of glamorizing violence. So I can see how people would be have a problem with that. But like. I don't know for like, I, I love hearing JJ John talk and uh, I could hear him read the phone book, but hearing him talk about, you know, the fact that no one from Boston ever owned anyone from New York <laughs> was just like so fucking awesome for me. Yes. I, there's, I think for me, if, if there, there's no criticism of the episode, but I think if people are being critical, either they don't know of him. And so maybe they don't like the way he communicates or, um, they haven't, they're not familiar with the story. Like I, obviously I know his book and that spoken word thing and all that. So for me, my only thing was, I feel like there was aspects that I knew of that he covered. Yeah. But, there's definitely something he's covered before a little bit, but like, I don't know. Like, my favorite part, I think, is the A-grade on Mojo stories. Like, yes. the, here's the story behind A-grade on Mojo. Mojo was a real bouncer. And then one time, we beat the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't think that sounds at all like the story of A-grade on Mojo. No, but then he says, like, then he mentions that I think yeah. the Beastie Boys egged him later, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was, like, it was secondary to, like, the idea of what the actual song title is, which I found it very funny. Yeah, I like that. That was great. Uh, and also, I love the fact that he was like, yeah, no one in New York liked us for a while. Yeah, that, I think, if any major, major thing came out of this that I viewed like i didn't view and, and it kind of gave me a different perspective was was what you just mentioned the idea that the chromags whatever had aggravated people or vice versa to the point where they were the outlier mm. which is not how i viewed it in history i just assumed all these groups who've become very infamous rightfully um were all just like down together but the idea of them being like again the, like yeah like the the outlier group is is interesting, and it kind of, as he was speaking on it, it made like it made sense to me. Like I'd never thought about it that way, but it, it made I don't know. It somehow made things make more sense as far as New York hardcore history. Definitely for me too. Like I kind of always have wondered why the Chromegs almost seem to have a separate history from yeah. New York hardcore after a certain point. Um. And, like, you don't see a lot of intersections between them and, and New York Hardcore, like you're talking about, like, the, that sort of scene. Yeah. After a certain point in history. And, like, yeah, this kind of explained it. And, like, it's funny because I rewatched that Donahue episode <laughs> since this John Joseph thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, you can kind of, like, oh, yeah, they do kind of feel like you can p read that vibe in that room when when, you know, you see them in the crowd. Yeah, it's like it's been a while since I've watched it, so I, I I'll I've got to check on that. But it did I don't know, just like you know how like some people when they talk of the past, you know, there there can be revision. Yeah, I don't think that's like what I liked about that um, was it, it certainly didn't seem like revision at all. It seemed like something that for whatever reason I like, and I've seen a lot of like listened to a lot of interviews with them or whatever or read, and like that was something that I've never like it's never come across to me before that. So 
yeah, that was cool to kind of learn, although sort of a bit weird to learn at the same time. But uh, yeah, that was the one big standout for me. You you nailed it there. It's not something because we spoke about this on the phone um, before recording this, and I didn't even think to bring that up. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was that did stand out. You're right. I think part of his trajectory that I've always found interesting was the idea that like he's a New York guy or whatever, but he uh, the idea that like DC has an overwhelming impact on him. Yeah. And it's yeah. sort of like Chan, and I don't mean just even just the bad brains. I mean outside of the bad brains, the idea of like whatever when he talks about going to DC and all that, and then like the SNL thing, and, and like just the idea that the impact on him, which sort of changes the whatever the New York hardcore vibe, is the idea of like channeling other areas, which isn't to say New York, of course, had their own thing, but um, the idea that he. I think the other standout thing was him talking, and I have it on here, and you wrote this down in the episode outline, liking London punk more than the New York stuff. Yeah. That's something I did not expect either. Like, when he was talking about the early stuff he's into, that blew my mind that he was not – I mean, obviously, it's not, not too much of a like jump to say, like, you know, he might not have liked television, but just, like – it just was weird to me. I just thought for sure it would be the American stuff that he would like above all before any of the British stuff. But you kind of hear that too from like Steve Lecky and stuff like about how, when they came to New York, how bored they were and like, just, we thought it was going to be like England. Yeah. And of the time I had, I can imagine that happening, but in just in my head, it's like, obviously, you know, like, you know, the sex pistols is, you know, is what it is. And, and, you know, I don't know what, because he brought up who he brought up the pistols, they bring up the Clash and the Damned, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, it's like that. Like there's so there's some aggressive elements of that that don't surprise me that he was like way into. But when I'm thinking of like, I don't know, just like for me, I would have assumed most of these guys is like as soon as they heard like the Dolls or the Ramones, it was like a rap. They they like they wouldn't want to hear an accent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of interesting to that he sort of wasn't vibing with New York stuff for a while. Like really, yeah. No, I think I think, and the other part I thought was awesome was him talking about new wave music and being into all that stuff. That, <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, agreed. It reminded me of uh, <laughs> this is a total random, not related at all thing. But if you ever remember on the Chappelle Show, um, did you ever watch Chappelle Show? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Did? So do you remember the Charlie Murphy stories all the yeah. time? Yeah. So there's the Charlie Murphy, the very very infamous Charlie Murphy Prince story. Yeah which now is even more infamous due to Prince, you know, passing. But um, the idea of when he's describing at the time, you know, no pun intended, the time, Prince and the time, the idea of like how they were dressed and he's, he's describing himself in the story and Charlie Murphy's like this hard guy. Yeah. And so he's telling this story, but he's trying to like, like contextualize for people because it's just so ridiculous to watch it being played out for anyone who's not seen this, go watch these Chappelle show episodes. But um but the idea of like being a hard dude into this like kind of soft stuff, but he contextualizes it by saying like, well, everyone at the time like looked that way because that's how we went out and like tried to get like get with people. That's that's what was cool. And like that's while JJ was saying that I had that in my mind, this oh, idea yeah. of like whatever <laughs> the early 80s, late 70s and like like totally being a cornball because that's what was like, you know popping yeah no it was awesome like talking to him about like bring up the insect surfers and him being like yeah that was a band that we saw like <laughs> yeah. it's just like 
Uh, that's all, I don't know. I've, I've loved this episode. This for me was, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff in this one too. Some terrifying things, but a lot of fun stuff. Yes. Um, I think the big, the big points I think we got to, I think rights of spring, I think is an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, but it makes sense. Cause he wears that shirt. You saw that there's a photo of him wearing a rights of spring shirt and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but of I, all the groups, like I'm kind of amazed that that one is one of the standouts for him. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's kind of, but I guess they were emotional and fast. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm not to project. You can like whatever you like, but yeah, no, trust me. Well, you and me know that you know he's got he's got his taste when it comes to the DC punk and hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I thought this was a uh, like you know I also love the GBH stuff too. Yeah, that was kind of great. I mean, the because who was he was talking about doug being he had to talk to them about not giving doug drugs i think right yeah so yeah that whole idea is interesting too i like that they they seem to abide by it too that was that was a funny like i don't know i like that anecdote too i I thought that was a cool part gbh is one of those bands that a lot of people have cool stories about you know and my experience with them has been nothing but awesome I think, like, yeah, that, that's another one. Um, obviously, they're, you know, a notorious, you know, uh, whatever, highly revered punk band. But I do find, like, they're not, for whatever weird reason, like, most people I know that like punk, they're not, like, in the top whatever three bands they like. And I think early GBH is really strong. Oh, yeah. So I've never, I've never, I just like, obviously they get their due, you know, people are familiar with the band or whatever, like they're classic, but I just, there's something, I don't know if it's just where we are, but I've never, I don't know. Cause I think that first, uh, like that leather bristles, whatever that 81 records. Great. Yeah. Um, I think that, that whole first era, you know, what's actually funny. I never realized this, that, that, one observer seven inch is a lift of that GBH cover. I never yeah. realized that. Huh, that's funny. The, um, they were like they're one of those bands that I think, you know, you just you just over appreciate them, right? Like, yeah, I think what it is is too they have so much. Like if you look if you look in the resource, I mean they're still kind of going right. So you you ha- I find it's like when bands don't go away really. It's, uh, they're, I don't know what it is. They're taken for granted, I guess, is the easiest way of saying it. Yeah. Um, so for me, say GBH ended by like 83, mm-hmm. you know, I think they would be like, you know, not, not like discharge held high by people now, but they would be in that sort of vein. Although even in the description, they're linked to it in, in, in uh, the resource here. But, but that first, like whatever the clay records 81 record is excellent um like knife edge is such a great song but the um anyway i really like gbh i like hearing these stories i find that they're somehow underappreciated even though you know they're virtually a household name in punk <laughs> i don't know how to how else to say it yeah like i think it's one of those things where you know we if a, if a band's too famous we just kind of um don't appreciate it enough, you know, like they're almost like, I think they get confused a lot with a lot of other bands of that era who are kind of shitty as people. <laughs> Do you want to air anybody out right now? No, no I'm not in particular, but <laughs> I think you know exactly who I'm referring to. Um, I, I'm not sure, actually. There's a couple bands that are not so cool, 
you know, people, but like my experience with the GBH people, they are awesome people. And like, I know a lot of younger bands that have like, you know, run into them and in the road and had really good experiences. So yeah, it was cool to hear that that dates, you know, even to back to the mags playing with them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just want to bring up really quickly as well, and I know I tend to pick on album covers all the time, but like GBH, uh, City Babies Revenge is like such an awful cover. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'll check that one now. <laughs> From 83. It's the City Baby Attack by Rats. It's like the sequel from 83. Oh, is it like the baby? It's like the baby with the choker on, and it's like, it's just yeah. so bad. So bad. It looks like it was done in like, oh. So bad. Um, but City Baby Attack by Rats, great cover, great album name. And the first one is classic as hell. And I love the cover to yeah, No Survivors, like the LP or whatever, 12-inch. I guess it's an LP. Yeah, it's an LP. Uh, I always like this cover. What about the fact that their second release is a live tape? Yeah, bold. That's like Sham 69 style. Or oh, no, that was the first one for Sham, first right? one, yeah. Well, it was a B-side or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, they're an amazing band. I, they're really some some cool, you know, like some cool people in that band, too, in my experience. So um, I, thought cool. that was, I thought that was awesome. But, yeah, yep. A Fridge Too Far is also a silly name for a record. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little off course, but... And then it gets back on course, you know? Yeah, and it when does. When Lars produced a record. Yes, but don't, uh, yeah, don't discount anyone who hasn't gotten into this stuff. That early stuff is really good. Uh, speaking of not to discount, not discounting the week after this one, which is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Uh, that was a poor segue, but not a poor episode. Brad Fry <laughs> from Piss Jeans, The Ultimate Warriors, and, of course, The Gate Crashers, and, you know, a million other bands, too. Carpenter Ant, um, you know, a bunch of other stuff. I lo- really like this episode. I wasn't uh, sure what what it was. you had spoken to me about him, but I'd never. Uh, I don't know. In my brain, I just didn't think it would it would speak to me as much as it did, and it was like right in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much everything about well, aside of the wrestling stuff, like all of the uh, like the getting into metal and then getting into punk via metal and that whole angle. That's totally my world. Um, but yeah, he, I don't know, I didn't realize that they, it doesn't surprise me either, but that he was such a, like, a crazy record guy, too, though. Oh, yeah, he's he's one of the best record, like, best record collectors. He's got one of the best <laughs> collections of stuff, but, like, I, I find it amazing whenever you meet someone who rebuilds, you yeah, know? Yeah, that, I, listening to that, I was just like, oh, man. Yeah. That idea of selling everything for, especially because it was what, to go to wrestling school, right? I think. Yeah, which is, you know, the only thing that's acceptable to sell your records for. <laughs> oh, it's totally admirable, but I'm just like, <laughs> holy man, like that is, like, I can't imagine doing that. Like, that is wild. Yeah, it'd be, and then to be, and then to come back to it and be like, no, you know what? Fuck it. I still want records. Yeah. That's, that's the worry, though. The worry about selling for me is always that. Yeah, of it's course. Like, it's you know, if I if I knew I could part with it and, and stay parted, I would be like, Yeah, that's fine. But uh it's the if I ever want to get this again, <laughs> especially now. Yeah. Yeah, what would you have yeah. to do? You know? Oh. And that's like the thing with every time you have to buy a record now. 
Like I'm like looking yeah. at these records when I was in Mexico, like I'm never going to see this again. And it's like, yeah, but will I ever listen to it? It's like, yeah, but I'm never going to see it again. That's, that's the, you were speaking every record collector's language right there. Yeah. Yeah. For me, even more, the other factor, like you're like, will I ever listen to this again? Obviously that is a, a valid point, but the other one is just space. Yeah. It's like, I, you only have a finite amount of space. So what, you know what I mean? I hate that. It's always in the back of my head now. You can see this room uh, I'm in right now. Oh, I know. And for listeners who don't know, Damien, you have a room in your home dedicated to it, and it's a tiny room, and it's chock full. So you really are living what I'm saying. Mine is a little more spread out. I don't think I have as many records. Or maybe I do, but I don't have as many hitters as you for sure. But, uh, yeah, I still wrestle with that all the time. It's like my number one, like, ugh. It's just like kind of a permanent guilt (laughs) of like when when I consume a record. Like, oh, I should be selling one when I buy one kind of thing. Yeah, no, I'm kind of at the, you know, bring one in, sell one uh, kind of <laughs> plan too, but I haven't gotten to do that yet. <laughs> You've been at that point, I think, for a little while. <laughs> yeah, no, I should be doing that. You are, you are the thing, though, of, of, of doing the pare down for, like, a major want, which is, a, which is also commendable. Um I tried to do that within the last three years and succeeded mildly, but largely failed. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I still have a problem doing it. Like, I don't think I could do it again. You know, like, there's not enough stuff I want to get rid of right now. Yeah, true. Um, As I started anyway. looking at five copies of the follow-through LP. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing yeah. here I could afford to lose. Nothing. <laughs> Um, so this episode, the points I wanted to make sure to touch on, um, the idea of a family friend taping literally the best taste making things on a cassette of what to listen to, which was like, I think what first mad ball lies blood and was it victim in pain? Yeah, I think so. Victim in pain. Yeah. Like best taste ever. Holy, like that's perfect. Um, and, uh, what was the other one? I liked the lost and found discussion. Yeah, that was the that was funny, and then of course the back to the record like the, the test press searches, which Dave David up also wrote in about. The, uh, I I also think uh, lost and found records. If we're talking about terrible aesthetic labels, <laughs> yep. Um, I think uh, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, that uh that the like for me you know the tearing the test press search was something else that people did uh <laughs> illustrated the fact that i am not alone in my illness you're not alone weirdly i never did that but i you uh, i've talked to one other person and of course the people who've now written in and or you know on the show uh he says it but yeah i it's a smart move i i think for me it was always just one where i thought i'd have to sift through too many things so i just thought ah. Eh. The craziest shit I think I got through that test press search is the Bruiser's first seven-inch test press, and Bruiser's yeah. was misspelt. Jesus, oh my! And that's a great score. That's a great record. <clears throat> oh yeah, no, there was there was like there was a lot of cool stuff in that kind of search that I would find. You know, yeah, a lot because a lot of people put in weird things. That was a good thing about Google. Uh, Google, sorry, eBay. Yeah, the search function. You know, you, if you were clever, 
and you thought about things like, you know, I know people that got records, incredible records because they would search spelling mistakes. <laughs> it's, it is. I don't think that world can exist anymore, but man, that is a great, uh, it, it's a great idea. I never really did it much. I think you, was it you also that, uh, I could be wrong, but did you get the stars and stripes that way? Or am I thinking of another person? Uh, I got a stars and stripes test press too. by searching Yeah. That stuff. Okay. That yeah. was you. Couldn't recall if it was you or someone else I know, but yeah, that's another good score. Yeah, no, I got that. I'm trying to think what else was a test press search that turned out. And you're talking the seven inch, not the LP. The seven inch, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love oh. to get an LP test press though. If anyone's listening, it has an LP test press. Yeah, the OG. Yeah, the OG one. Um, but now there's like you know eBay. God, keep talking about it, Chris. <laughs> We're gonna get me back in there, so we should move on. <laughs> Sorry to get all hot um, and bothered. Well, what else from this episode besides the obvious record collecting stuff we talked about? What what else jumped out at you? That the you wrestling made stuff was awesome, but uh, yeah, I will not bore you with how awesome that was for me. Chris. <laughs> no, it's great. But the, I think the fact that these guys intersect with Chikara, which is a very amazing federation league uh, company, that uh, is is so it's so neat and kind of like. I don't know. I, I love these guys for their music stuff too, but I, I think yeah. like, you know, the wrestling side of, of these, of the piss jeans, um, especially, you know, obviously Brad and, and stuff is, cannot be understated. Yes. Which is something I always kind of knew because I knew the ultimate warriors a bit. I wasn't aware of his direct, whatever wrestling links, but uh, I think going to buy a wrestling ring is insane. Yeah. And that story was amazingly funny to me. Uh, and the idea of them trying to convince the guy that they like knew what they were doing, <laughs> just that, like that, that whole concept is, is crazy to me. I also love the fact that, like them describing the shows that they played. Yeah. Yeah. That, that idea of them like being kind of like not serious and always playing with these serious bands, <laughs> that whole thing. I don't know. I, I really liked his, uh, his episode, his take on everything was very funny. Yeah. And also um, another band he brings up kind of in league with, or in line with Dillinger four Weston. Yeah. I never got into them. I know the name. Uh, I feel like I've maybe seen them, but I can't remember, but yeah, I've never, um, never really gotten into them. Put out a split with uh, lifetime. Um, an amazing punk band, pop punk band. Yeah. Played Toronto, played the infamous AFI riot. Oh yeah. They were on that show too. <clears throat> so it was trigger happy. We didn't even talk about that without. Wow. Get to that story at all. Yeah. It'd be interesting to hear his take on that or anyone else's that was there. We talked about it on the walk over and his talk, his take on it is, is very interesting. Hmm. Like, not out of line with what my take on it is, but gotcha. But definitely, it's interesting to hear his perspective on different things unfolding and how close it is to my memory. Yeah, yeah. So, so the this Weston group though, back to that real quick here. Were they <coughs> yep. from uh, whatever Philly or? No, they're from like uh, like wherever that that place in Pennsylvania that they're from. Okay. Allentown, I guess. Is that where yeah, they're Allentown-y from? Allentown area, yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, shout out to Double Decker. You guys speak about that yeah. a bit on the episode. I but, might be oh, going there coming up. What, on your next trip? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm angling. Oh, I'm angling oh. hard, but there's someone we need to cover that lives there. 
I'm like, we need to go. We need to go. <laughs> we, oh, I have a location. We can interview yeah. them at. Yeah, I have, I have a perfect place to interview a wrestler who does not collect records. <laughs> uh, it is true, though. It, it's worth visiting every time. Oh, my God, yeah. No, that's, that's, a, that's one of the best stores, too. Yes. I would like, we could do a list right now of stores all over the place, like stores that just are, are awesome to shop at, you know, our, yeah, friend, find... our friend Grasshopper's place in Toronto. Yes. Um, Cosmos records. If you're looking for some sort of high end soul jazz record type thing. Um, uh, June records is cool. Seen some stuff there. <laughs> These are all in Toronto. I thought you were going international. LPs, LPs. LPs, LPs is the hidden spot, I would say, is is the one for me that's most impressive lately. Um, yeah, I definitely, I always tell people when, when like I have friends who collect records come to town and they're like, where should I go? Like, where's going to blow me away? Um, like, I mean, like, you know, snobby friends. Like, any, like I'll tell people, Sonic Boom, You, I find crazy shit at Sonic Boom. Yep, agreed. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll be like, oh, you should check out, you know, this place, Grasshopper, blah, 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 this place, this place, you know, it's all, they're all good. But I'm like, but you will you will find something that will blow your mind that you've never heard of every time at LPs LPs. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's it's crazy. You need to know stuff too, like for hip hop, you you don't want to go there. But no, that's true. You're right. But but there, you know. Anyway, yeah, you're you're correct. Um, um but uh, internationally, uh, uh, time bomb in Osaka, uh, disunions. I've found ridiculous stuff at. Uh, the Nat record stores, which I don't think is there anymore, um, in Japan was was crazy. Uh, the uh, you know Daybreak Records, aforementioned Daybreak Records, Double Decker. Uh, yeah. Uh, where, I'm trying, where I'm trying to think, where else is? What was the Aussie one? I've ordered from them, but I can't. Oh remember. God, yeah. Well, there's Licorice Pie, Not and then that there's one. also Vicious Sloth. That's right, vicious sloth. Yeah, I've ordered vicious from sloth is mail order, but crazy. I've never been. Yeah. Oh, it's nuts. What it, was the crazy one in Portland? Is that still open? The discourage. Uh, discourage. I don't think it's open anymore. Yeah, I think those guys have separate stores now. Ah, the one that they own. Um, also, all ages records in London. London, yeah. Introduced me to Robbie Brookside, so <laughs> cannot yep. overstate how important they are. I went to a place, I think it's called The Records, in Brazil, that for Brazilian punk was, like, the perfect place. Cool. Um, You're fortunate with your travels to hit them. I I tried for a while. Actually, I've been fortunate myself in traveling previously and hitting places, but I never got to as many points as you did, I don't think. Well, I think also I was lucky to be in a band at – other times, not now, with a bunch of record collectors. <laughs> now yes. there's not a lot of record collectors and fucked up. Uh, you know, two, you and one other one. Well, now that one's living on the boat, I would say there's just one. <laughs> True, good point. You know, <laughs> so it's kind of lonely in in record land and fucked up these days. Gotcha. Um, Oh, I gotta say, also, uh, it's it's in Florida, Orlando, Florida. But uh, Donut Shop Records is one of the coolest record stores I've been to. Um, not a hundred percent all stuff that I you know collect, but 
but I got cool records there nonetheless that is stuff I collect, but definitely specializing in jazz and stuff. It's a fucking incredible store. Cool. Um, but uh is there anything else you want to go into on this uh, episode? The only one I think we should touch on from this that really stands out is the uh, world's finest hardcore shout out at least one more one more time. Yeah. God, what a comp. What a comp. Yeah, I believe it is. We've discussed this before. You brought it up. I'm quite positive. Yeah. But um, but it's funny how much that resonated. Like Dave did up again, wrote in about that when he wrote in. Um, and other people I've heard discuss this. So it's kind of a funny, um, it's sort of like the, whatever, like Agnostic Front Raw Unleashed, that, that same deal. Like it seems to be like these CDs people get early on that are like huge gateways and like the really cool stuff that you shouldn't kind of be getting at that point or something. Yeah. Like I would say that was, you know, obviously this is a point before any of these rest records were accessible at all. Right. Like yeah. I think some of this stuff still hasn't been reissued. Um, but you know, it was a CD that was widely available. There are 2000 pressed and it was also at a time before people canonized hardcore. Like what, what are like the first like quote unquote, like kill by death, Hardcore records. I would say that's got to be one of the first ones. Ooh. Um, what's interesting about this comp, so for those who don't know, you look it up, it's a various artists. Uh, World's Finest Hardcore Volume 1. World's Finest Hardcore is the label um, from 97. So yeah, year-wise, you're bang on there. But it's an interesting um, selection. So it's got the Neos, uh, Angry Samoans, Clip Boys, Sick Pleasure, Necros, the farts, United Mutation, and really red. Um, but yeah, uh, 97, yeah. Anyone doing these albums? Well, I think there's, they're, they're actually, uh, the both have been mentioned so far, yeah. but Grand Theft Audio did that Roger Amret uh, benefit comp. Yeah. Which had like a bunch of like weird, obscure, hardcore stuff on it. And okay. there's also, um, the Lost and Found records did did a bunch of weird comps with like the abused and urban waste on them and stuff. Yeah, I still feel like the um, okay. So first of all, I'm trying to look up that Roger Murray benefit one you're talking about. It's called One for All, All for One, or something. Okay, yeah, All for One, One for All from '95. Yeah, I'm just looking what's on this. Man, there's a lot of stuff. Forty eight tracks on it. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's some crazy like AOD and like White Crow. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. But uh, oh, America's Hardcore's on this. Yeah, that that's like the place that I first heard of them. That's wild. Track thirty nine. Use your head. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I've never I've seen this cover, but I never uh, I've never heard this. It's a, it's a cool comp. Like you know, if if there were different graphics for all this shit, they would be classic. <laughs> I think you guys discussed that, I think, right on the, yeah, on that episode, you discussed yeah. that. Yeah. That is, that is a very interesting point. The idea of like, because if, if the allegations are true and, and some of this is in fact like booted or whatever, or not paid royalties or however you want to say it, um, it is kind of weird that the artwork is the one thing they don't like. It's like the line they don't cross. <laughs> yeah. Which is very strange. Uh, the only other thought I had to that, posthumously is maybe they think if they change the artwork the band will think it's like something else like it's <laughs> yeah. not you know what i mean like therefore it's you know i don't know like yeah maybe 
Maybe. There's like crazy stuff on this label. Like it's it's insane. Yeah. You are right though. This is one of those labels that and that and lost and found, certainly. And but what I found like when I first started getting anything from these labels, it was always just going backwards. So it'd be like with New York Hardcore more specifically was the one I always remember. So like Raw Unleashed I got fairly early. Um not ninety five, but not or not too far off from that. Um <clears throat> what was the other one? They did a sick of it all, didn't they? Or was that Lost and Found that did that live in a world full of hate? Lost and Found. Lost and Found did that one, yeah. So like, Lost and Found stuff... did like Madball and Bruisers. They did that one Bruisers record that's got like, uh, that's super like, it, like uh, their their big ballad on it. Hmm. I don't have that one. The the best one that Grand Theft Auto shot was better, uh, is the A7 and Beyond, the Hide and the Mighty and the Antidote for me. Uh, well, I guess Ron Leash is, is unbelievable, but this, oh, yeah. both of them done. The yeah. Dark, the, the the CD that he did with of The Dark is is amazing. They did, they did The State even? Holy, why is that on Yeah, here? there's like, it's, it's like insane shit. No, they didn't like, do it. It's someone is, someone's put that in here mistakenly. Or did they do a CD version of that record? Anyway, crazy. Um, yeah, so like these these kind of labels did did do that, I guess, fairly early. But I feel like I don't know. I feel like the um, trying to think of the way of saying this, but like these labels, I feel like weren't didn't kind of know what they were doing as far as like mm-hmm. holding reverence to like killed by death stuff. If that makes any sense, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Whereas. Mm-hmm. Um, this like world legit like you know, something like you or I would have done if we were twenty years older or something. Like we would have put this out, you know, if we had the resources. Um or Yeah, like it's it's like trying to Yeah, exactly. It's 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 more like uh Kill by Death. It has it's more, more like a kill by death comp. Yeah, exactly. So um so I, I do think it's way ahead uh in that respect. And it's got like great choices and like really i mean obviously stuff like for me necros what's probably the biggest thing on here that isn't too common i think necros for me is probably the most common i think i guess angry samoans maybe but that is not the most common i guess no i guess they probably angry samoans necros um that neos isn't that hard to get that really red isn't that that hard to get like mm-hmm. there's nothing on it that's like impossible to find too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like it's all like hard to get in expensive records, but like, you know, nothing is below 500 press. Like I think the smallest pressing there is United Mutation. Yeah. But I, I think what it, what I feel like is that it could have easily been like example, this came out in 97 and I know that obviously touch and go had already done that. Like all those like negative approach reissue things and all that stuff. But well, like they, they only ever did the negative approach reissue. Like the necro stuff is still not reissued. Oh, true. But I mean that, uh, that total recall negative approach existed. Like, yeah. you know, whatever that had everything on it, but it could have easily been, you know, like negative approach and like, uh, I don't know, like some of the, the more, marquee whatever hitters of that era and it's not it's it's these off well necro is not so much but the other one's like more left field choices but yeah. good like yeah. really good the well, um, clip boys are always the one that's like the, yeah. the standout because it's yeah. like not in the tier of the other records on that 
Yes. But it's I feel, right. yeah, it's, no, it's still a great record though, but yeah. Yeah. Like in United Mutation too, like that record obviously is now appreciated a lot more, but at the time that came out, like that was like beyond obscure. You know what I'm surprised is not on this? A double O. Yeah, right. They would make sense to be on it, but I guess they already had a DC band with uh, United Mutation. Mind you, they have a couple California bands on there, so. Yeah, I'm just like, when I'm thinking of like that stuff that, you know, falls in that weird category of this era, that would be one. No so New York stuff think... on there. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's true, too. Yeah, like even like Warzone demos would have been interesting on here. Or, um, like, or they put on like uh, you know like the um, abused or something or the uh, yeah, urban true. waste or something at that point. But the, mind you, yeah. Lost and Found had already reissued those. Yeah, yeah, good point. Either way, this CD is very cool in hindsight, ahead of its time. And uh, yeah, shout out to World's Finest Hardcore Volume One on CD <laughs> from '97. All right, so let's dive into the Jonah Ray episode now. All right. Jonah Ray, this for me was all about hearing these two amazing, amazing stories about uh, Siv, uh, sorry, uh, I should say Walter and uh, <laughs> and Ray, Ray Capo. Ray Capo. Yeah. To, uh, a background on this episode, though, so what I found interesting listening to this, obviously those stories are incredible. We will get to those. But um, when I spoke to you, so I had... Well, we had both collectively, we were both fans of comedy stuff. So I had seen Jonah on some things that, uh, and I don't even remember what it was that I heard him. He didn't talk much, but he had some mentioned something about being in a hardcore punk or something. And I remember messaging you about it, thinking this would be a cool guy to have on the show. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that you had already met him at least once. Although that first time, like you discussed the hangout at South by Southwest, which you couldn't recall at the time. Yeah. I don't know if you guys discussed punk aside from being at No Effects or whatever it was you guys were at. Um, but anyway, so I find it fun. Like I found it funny that like you had kind of already known him a bit or like it, at least met him. And uh, and I just like happened to come across and thought, oh, this would be a cool interview. And you had already had rapport with him, uh, which I wasn't aware of. But um, but yeah, to then learn though that he is way deeper than I thought he was um, with all this stuff because I just assumed it was like, oh, he likes you know your token sort of bands or whatever. But like he, yeah, like he was discussing like the fact that he had, like you said, Shrifles and and Ray Capo, like he has those stories which are insane. <laughs> also, all his bands he played in were are awesome. Like all his bands are really good. Like he sent me like sound clips of them all, and I'm like, these are all fucking amazing representations of the genres you're going for. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, it's, no, it's it's definitely like drummers and comedy batting a thousand on this show. <laughs> true it's <laughs> a very good point i i liked that you you uh when you discuss that <clears throat> if we're gonna get into the shrifles and the capo thing uh the capo one more specifically um the idea of you want like i guess when you're younger you want to like obviously you want to to meet perhaps like your idols in a certain respect but i can't think of anything being more intimidating than them going through your record collection oh yeah <laughs> like, like the idea of that is so it's so funny in hindsight but my oh my nerve-wracking 
I remember hanging out with Ensign as a kid and talking about side by side because I just got in the reissue. Yeah, and they were all like, "Side by side sucks." What? You know what's really funny about that? In hindsight, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, Uh, side by side is fucking awesome, though. Side by side are yes. Uh, I'm not trying to throw shade. I like Ensign, but but you know, but I also love side by side. So. I uh, I don't I don't uh, I don't have any dislike for Ensign, but uh, that you know they didn't sound like side by side is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah that idea definitely not there. <laughs> no, exactly. But the idea of uh, yeah, your idol going through your collection and sort of like you know whatever disapproving of things oh. is such like a yeah funny, especially for like when you're at that age too. Oh God, yeah. Oh my god! I still wouldn't want any of my my uh, so called musical heroes to go through my record collection. Oh, I don't think you'd have anything ashamed of. You're uh, like you know. Oh, I definitely would. I can definitely see stuff that various friends of mine would laugh at. Probably each other's records. <laughs> I just mean though, like clearly your collection for anyone who's ever like. Well, Buzz happy. from the Melvins would hate the No Effects stuff, and Fat Mike would hate the Melvins records. <laughs> yeah, but even that aside, they can tell of what like what you're you know what you're getting at with your collection. So they would accept it on the level of you being like a whatever, like a an obsessive. I don't think either of those people are very accepting of things that aren't their opinions. <laughs> That's fine. I would say Buzz maybe a tad bit more reasonable than than Mike in my. But no, really? no, actually neither That's one. Same neither. Neither one backs down on anything. And the thing that's amazing they both kind of agree on is hating weed. Really? Yeah. That's also interesting to me. I would not have thought that. Yeah. And you know who doesn't hate weed? This motherfucker. Damien Abraham? Yeah. Yeah, You know who's going (laughs) to take that bait for that debate every time? This motherfucker. Uh, so what, what jumped out at you from this besides his bands being awesome? I think, like, uh, it was definitely that. Um, a, 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 you know, the, getting the opportunity to kind of talk to him about, you know, everything that he's kind of done. Yeah, you know, as far as being what it would take to be a Hawaiian band, you know, I've got, I'm fascinated by bands from places where obviously punk is is harder. You know, yeah. Um, we are very fortunate in North America, and and when I say North America, I mean Canada and America, and yeah. definitely in Canada. Um, yeah, like I've always been kind of fascinated by you know, places where punk is harder to do. And I think hearing Jonah talk about what it would take to be a band that would tour off Hawaii. Imagine being a punk band. I can't think of anywhere it'd be too much more difficult from maybe Alaska. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Newfoundland, but I think there's like more government assistance in Canada for bands. Yeah. True. Good point. Um, yeah. I didn't, uh, when he mentions that it's like, uh, Obviously, like logistically, it makes complete sense what he's saying. So immediately you identify, but I, you never think of that in your mind, like being from a remote area and thinking, like, yeah, to tour, you would have to like all get flights. Like yeah. the idea of like even doing your first basic tour to mainland anywhere being that that much of a a gamble is insane. Which is also probably why we basically hear from no, I can't think of any Hawaiian like punk bands certainly. Um, I can't really think of any Hawaiian bands, to be honest. 
Uh, do you have any that you can think of in your in your mind? I can't. The flying fucking a heads are amazing. They did one seven inch. Um, that's like a killer forty five. Yeah, um, there's probably also, never toured though, right? No, the squids have a cool forty five. Um, the grapefruits, who he brings up on the episode, I was familiar with them. Yeah, for Max Rock and Roll ads and stuff, and I think they toured. But yeah, no. Apart from that, and like this is like obscure. The flying fucking A heads are pretty fucking obscure. Like if it wasn't for Johan Kugelberg's DIY list, I don't think I'd, I would have bought that record. Yeah, yeah. So it's it is it's insane to think of that. I mean, we are fortunate. And the irony is, I don't think like even you and I like our immediate geography. I don't think we're even as fortunate as like people in certain areas of the U.S. where it's like hotbed central. Like if you're in the Northeast U.S. Like you're near so many places that it's wild or like even on the West coast, yeah. you know, if you're in Southern California, you know, like we're, we're six hours ish to Ottawa or Montreal, Mm -hmm. but like, imagine that being like San Francisco or Oakland or like, you know, LA or, you know, that's just anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, we're fortunate though, in the sense that like, you know, if I wanted to tour in a band you know, there's obviously all the logistic nightmares of getting a van, but then it's just a van. We don't have to worry about flights and then getting gear on the other side. Yeah, exactly. That too, of course. Like that's like a that's like a grown up band thing to have to deal with. But that's yeah, like they're a going to Europe problem. You basically have to become a professional band immediately mm-hmm. if you're touring off the island, mm-hmm. which is yeah, is insane, like insane. Yeah, it's it's a weird consideration. It's just something I never thought of, and it. You know, it's kind of what I find funny about him is that he has all this history with with everything he discusses with you. And it's stuff that most people have not ever heard of or not like don't, you know, and yet he still ends up doing something completely different. And that even in, in and of itself was a giant gamble, him just coming and doing that. But like mm. when I think of him, it's funny. He's almost more of a music guy than a comedy guy. Yet his career is in comedy. You know, that's always an interesting thing for me when, when someone ends up on that sort of level or whatever. Well, it's funny because like personality wise, him and Fred Armisen are not at all alike, you know, they're both nice people, but like, there's not alike, but career trajectory wise. Yeah. Kind of similar paths. Yeah. Which is sort of wild. Like guys that would probably be in music if the situation had presented itself differently. Like they probably would have stuck with music and never done comedy. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, I think there's probably more people in comedy that are also the same. Uh, mm-hmm. There, there are not many worsters, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, who are able to do both. But um, yeah, it is weird. It's weird how that uh, that is. But I'm jealous of the the abilities these people have. <laughs> you know, at the oh, same time. But you are right. Comedy drummers, specifically, is although Armisen at least is multi instrumental, but instrument like he can play more but we've had a lot on this show craig craig you know craig ferguson Ferguson, yeah um uh, worcester um obviously uh now jonah ray um and uh who else have we had i can yeah armison but i'm trying to think of there's i feel like there's others even yeah, oh, wasn't, was, oh no, Eric Wareheim's not a drummer, he was a bass player, right? Yeah, I know he's a, I don't know, he might also be able to play drums, but I don't know if he, 
certainly not known as that. Yeah, no, we're talking about specifically, you had to be a specific drummer. Yeah, I think that was... There might be one we're missing there, but I think you mainly got them. I think four or five is a pretty good number. That's a good list, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Totally. What I else? Uh... With, I can't go with five lead singers that are great in comedy. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh Jack Black. Yeah, that's a good one. Lead singers are great in comedy, yeah. That's a good uh Yeah, I don't know. Scott Thompson. Thompson was a lead singer? Really? Yeah, in that band. In, in the band we talked about. Yeah, some... but not I don't know. I don't I guess he was, yeah. Um either way. Uh, interesting point. I like that it validates your argument about punk or not punk comedy drummers. Uh, I'm trying to think what else really jumped out at me about this. Um, the one thing though, I do think it's weird. The disadvantage of being from there and, and the ability to tour not being great totally sucks. But what's funny about his stories, um, the ones where he like the Ray Capo, the, the Shrifles, the, those kind of stories is that when you're, when you are the, whatever not the only game in town but like people go over there and you're like the people that connect you know connect their whatever like the you're the scene people so therefore that's who these people go to 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 facilitate their you know their shows over there like he's getting all these crazy unique opportunities that you know wouldn't come to you and i so easily which is the other irony Mm mm-hmm at the same time, he then has these people looking through his record collection, <laughs> but nonetheless, and judging you horribly. <laughs> I love the the Universal Armageddon and Born Against is my favorite anecdote ever it's from, so the, from cool. that episode. It's so like <laughs> you know, and he's wrong because like you know, I mean, Ray's wrong because yeah, totally. not not Jonah Ray. I mean, Ray Capo's wrong. Yes, correct. Because yeah, those records are sick, but yeah, it's like you wouldn't I, want it any other way. Well, I love the idea, though, too, that, like, and I get the idea of, like, history dictating that, you know, whatever, bands, you, you, certain people won't like each other's art or, you know, whatever, they won't get along, therefore, they can't acknowledge, you know, whatever things they've done. But, like, you know, <laughs> like, if you sit down and listen to those Born Against records, I just, like, any of these people, like, kind of bitching about it or, like, like refusing to acknowledge it, I, I just mind-blowing to me like absolutely mind-blowing to me to like to still not acknowledge it i mean i don't know this was a of the era where it was like mid-90s it sounded like but i'm just imagining like now to still be that way can you imagine like the Uh, records you're missing out on yeah but i still think it's kind of like new york it's like bad brains in austin texas it's like yeah beefing over 100 percent. like i still wouldn't want to talk Sick of it all with Craig Sitari, or sorry, board against with Craig Sitari. Yeah, no, I gotcha. Don't think it'd be like, you know, I don't think you'd be wanting to hear Mary Mother and Child as one of the best punk songs from a lyrical standpoint argument that I would lay out for him. <laughs> True. I just mean like it's it's unfortunate because clearly, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of where these people fell at the time in, in conflict with one another, their uh, their art speaks for itself historically and in hindsight more than ever when you listen to those records now but yeah yeah definitely i like I, I like both sides in that beef totally me too 
I like both sides, even in the Ray beef. If like if the Ray beef is stems from that, like obviously I love you to today. Like it's it's silly. I just think it's funny that I don't know. I think it's funny when people like you, especially when you're, you know, clearly you're someone in a genre who is a tastemaker, and therefore like you get the genre. You know what I mean? So it's always bizarre to me when you know someone you meet that is like a pioneer or whatever is sort of like lost on not hearing what you hear in like another group that might be contemporary or might not yet you figure they should understand what the nuance is is why this makes this group good like makes sense that if you played born against for your parents most parents uh that they would be like oh this is awful you know but like to play it for ray capo i would not think that would be the immediate thought you know what i mean Mm-hmm. so it's just I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say but I think you it's get probably it. over Krishna stuff though uh, it could be yeah but even that aside like it, you still you know there's it still sonically is what it is yeah. you know like regardless of what you feel about the stances it's like you know like uh, I don't know I'm trying to think of like like actually it was discussed in one of these episodes and I can't remember which I had the point up earlier but it's like the Ted Nugent thing it came up in one of these episodes with one of these gentlemen. And, you know, yeah, was, Ted Nugent was, was Al, like, I think. might have been Al. But it's like, yeah, a deplorable guy. Like, completely deplorable, but sonically it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's it's like that sort of, like, you know, that whole age-old argument, the art artist argument. But, like, I just find it from a hardcore standpoint, I realize that most punk hardcore scenes are fairly close, especially regionally. So, therefore, there's even more to it. But... I just think that's a bizarre, bizarre one for me. But anyway, whatever. I think it's always like you have your your punk, right? And yeah, it true. Fit in your punk definition, you know. I mean, I'd be, I bet you those Sam McFeeders probably dug you today. Oh, totally, and that's what to me is bizarre. It's like I understand you have your punk, but like for me, when you hear some of the rawer elements of like Youth of Today. It's sonically in keeping with Born Against. Like, it's not the same thing, but it's, you know, you could listen to both back to back and get the same, you know, whatever, like, charge out of it. Whereas, you know, I don't do that with, like, Late Shelter, you know what I mean? Or Baby Gopal, let's say. Um, so, with this idea well, of. You're like, lost yeah. then, Chris. <laughs> well, we have discussed. We, we, Friend of the show, Baby Gopal, yes. We love the record. Yeah, we definitely uh, that's our favorite victory record. Yes. But uh but regardless, you know what I mean. Like so it's it's a funny argument, like the idea of that being like someone's own whatever sonic template. But when your sonic template varies that much, it's like, well, how can you not acknowledge that, that this is great? You know, like it's yeah. just silly to me. But anyway, well, whatever. I yeah, like it, well, I don't know. I think you, you you acknowledge it because like you have to, you have to just like acknowledge whatever it takes to kind of keep your definition of punk safe. Yeah, totally. Sorry, my my phone just started playing the New Ways video. <laughs> That's okay. Which looks very weird. It looks like an eighties rock, seventies <laughs> rock video, maybe. Yeah. I'll check that out later, Chris. All right. Um, but Jonah Ray is certainly a, uh, you know, like I think someone who I like is due 
for a reissue series of recordings that he's played. <laughs> well, that'll be your. Uh, you'll do that then one day. I need, be... do, I need to give the drummer some records. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> you so already have me. Yeah, you have, already have a concept. I was thinking like low down. This is low down two and three. Two will be the epifat killed by death comp, and three will be you know give the drummer some whatever. No, the drummer give the drummer some is going to be my label, and I'm going to reissue all the Craig Ferguson recordings. I'm going to reissue the Fred Armisen pre, um, you know, yes. the KGB stuff. Yeah, and then I'm going to reissue um, all all the Jonah Ray stuff. And so, so your give the drummer some will be your honest dons to your fat records of lowdown. Yeah, I guess so. And if if <laughs> if fat records only put out one seven inch that bankrupted the label. Regardless, uh, I like this idea. I do think in a perfect world, all of this would exist, but I don't know. Well, it could be a perfect world, Chris. We're 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 only moments away from a perfect world potentially. <laughs> we're only moments away from our friend Dave Martin. Record industry mogul, <laughs> yes. For for uh, from hitting me up and being like Damien, I will give you said subsidiary label. <laughs> I'm sure there's point? someone that listens to this podcast that has enough sway in the, the music industry to give me an imprint so I can do give me give the drummer some records. <laughs> I do think uh, I think the KGB stuff for sure is probably legitimately like would would play well that's terms also, of, i think cleopatra records has already locked up the rights to that pretty good so really that might not come out. yeah like it, that... it, it came out as a seven inch a while ago you can still buy it online through them oh i didn't know that i didn't realize that it actually was released or like whatever crazy but that being said you know none of this none of this jonah ray stuff's out there and all of that um Craig Ferguson stuff's long out of print. So there you go. And there's also some fire back catalog John Worcester stuff that I could probably put out there. <laughs> nice. Well, I like this idea. I think you should uh, you should approach them all and formally do this. I, I, knew, I just need the backers. I'm sure they'd all be down. <laughs> Give the drummer some is my favorite idea of this the, the the name of it is like my favorite part well it's also great because all these <laughs> records are just going to be about the drummer and how the drummer went on to all these other great things <laughs> you know like no mention of any of the other members <laughs> yeah awkward and it's just gonna be a picture of the drummer on the cover well, uh, this is this, this record. These records are releasing themselves, basically. There you go. Yeah, the audience is huge. Um, we we need someone to help me put this out. So, someone get on that. Someone get in touch. Yeah. Email the podcast. Where they email again, Chris? Turn out a punk footnotes at gmail dot com. So you got to email that and give me this label. Give Chris and I this <laughs> label because now Chris is an investor. <laughs> I'm an investor. I'm like, yeah. You got money, buddy. You were just talking about it. So let's invest in my label. Invest in my vision. Well, we'll see. Okay. Well, uh, either way, get in touch about someone out there giving me a subsidiary. You can also find me on various forms of social media. I'm at Left for Damien. And uh, you can also, um, yeah, like, say, thank you for being in, in, invested in this podcast enough to check out this episode because I know we've been taking a while to get it out there and i apologize but 
It's been busy for us in good ways, though. So you should be proud of Chris and I. Right, Chris? Yes, indeed. You know, so, yeah, so, stop stop browbeating us and start being prouder for us. Thank you, <laughs> Dad. Um, uh, and that's it. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see you next episode. Right, Chris? Oh, yes, for sure. Aaliyah from UTI, one of my closest friends who's ever been on the show. I'm a, I'm a, a secular godparent to her child. She's a secular godparent to my child. Uh, she's one of my favorite vocalists ever, and she's on the show next week. So uh, I'm stoked to have her on, and we've nice. got some. I've got some fire episodes uh, saved up, so don't worry. There's going to be episodes keep coming, and Chris, don't you worry, because next time we speak, we will have some amazing stuff to talk about. I promise you. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, buddy. Well, uh, anything else uh, you want to say to anyone? No, no, I'm good. Apart from apologizing uh, on my behalf for also uh, not. Uh, you don't know these assholes an apology, Chris. You don't know no, these assholes you know anything. <laughs> well, I feel indebted either way. Okay, well, fine. You can you can apologize then profusely if you want. But. <laughs> All right, well, that's it. Uh, we will see you when we see you. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>